Hi, Cole here, creator and narrator of The Town Whispers. It's been a long summer, but the leaves once again fall, and with autumn comes longer nights that beg for darker tales. And to fill those long, cold evenings, I've launched a brand new podcast called Tiny Terrors. Tiny Terrors is a nostalgic horror anthology series that is as fun as it is dark. Join three friends as they delve into a forgotten corner of storytelling history and bring to light the darker depths yet still hidden in those often untraveled corners. Subscribe, listen, and review Tiny Terrors wherever you listen to podcasts. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Town Whispers is a narrative horror podcast that will tell the many stories hidden behind the rain and the fog and the trees of a town called The Fort. Events that take place in the fort are not suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. I got the ghost of you inside of my head. What I'm supposed to do is already dead. He's so Paul woke, with his forehead covered in a cold sheet of sweat. His hands ached as his clenched fists released the balled-up quilt that covered his bed. That place… what was that place? Even there, safe in his bed, Paul's gut was filled with the bottomless sense of falling, of being untethered and ungrounded. Something there in that place was watching him. But where was there? Wherever Paul Collins had dreamt of, it was a place of thick nothing that had swaddled him in terror and left him feeling like a babe born from a womb of dread. Whatever. Wherever. Whoever. Oh, it felt stuck to him. Paul swung his feet over the side of his bed and let out a tightly held breath, forcefully rubbing his eyes until he saw stars. It provided relief for a moment, 
knowing he could feel the ground on the soles of his feet. Paul stared into his room, unsure of whether to go back to sleep or stay awake. Perhaps he could test his luck at the underwood that sat on his desk. Maybe if he could rouse himself to stride across the room, to sit in his chair and begin punching the keys of his typewriter, he might remember enough of his dream to pen a short story. Just a little something to break the animosity he felt towards the fort and his decision to travel there. If Paul could just write anything, with luck, he might forgive himself for his decision to travel halfway across the world to a town that felt much more each day like a bear trap of boredom, its teeth bleeding him, draining him of his motivations and reasoning. It could have been the hardwood floors, or the oak walls. The overabundance of browns, the unfamiliarity of his surroundings, his feelings of detachment, or whatever clung to him that little something perched upon his shoulder that had hitched a ride from slumberland. But Paul found himself unable to move. A hesitation held him back. What if he sat at his desk, that nightmare fresh in his mind, and still he could not pluck the words and put them to the paper? What then? The longer he sat there, the more a chill climbed his spine, and the feeling of being watched built and built until it climbed the walls and crawled along the floor. He opened his eyes wide, straining them in the dark, trying to open his ears to whatever might be lurking in the unknown not more than a couple feet from his face. Paul Collins felt his heart lurch into his throat. Oh, yes! He's a, he's a little bristly, but a nice young man. A nice young man indeed. He felt his breath lift off the meat hooks holding it tight in his chest, and a wave of tingling really fell over him. Oh, thank God it was only Ruth. Enough already. He'll wake if you continue on that way. You 
keep his eyes open. Least he could do is send out another ship to him and let him know that he's got hand of it. Is that what you want? Oh, dear, 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 dear. You're probably not to catch him. And all of a sudden, let out and scare him up. It won't work, you hear me. It didn't work last time. It won't work this time. We need to bring him into the fold and quickly. All right. Enough. Let me get some sleep. It reminded Paul of hushed conversations in the night, when all the children in home were supposed to be asleep, himself included. When his mother and father spoke of things no child should hear, sometimes they'd yell at one another. Paul remembered resting his head on his pillows, eyes wide open, listening and wondering if they actually thought they were being quiet. It didn't strike him till many years later that dear mother and dear father were campaigning for loyalty, raising their voices at the opportune moment to highlight some failing in their respective partner. But Paul never heard the words. Neither did his siblings. They all just assumed mother and father were yelling about them, each of them, Paul included. And they all thought it was their fault. The next morning after hearing such passionate yelling, Paul would be extraordinarily well-mannered and shamed, eyes down, mouth shut. That's the household Paul had grown up in. Oh, how odd that he should think of that then and there. Paul Collins rolled onto his back, pulling the quilt on his bed back over him, shielding himself from the chill in the night air. All soft hands and teary-eyed, she'd said. That hurt Paul. He, he liked Ruth, and he had wanted her to like him too. Paul lay there, feeling the sting of the eavesdrop conversation as he fully roused consciousness from his sleepy-eyed state, as the light outside his window went from black to light blue as the sun rose and backlit the clouds that covered the fort. Who had Ruth been entertaining so late at night? Or rather, so early in the morning? Surely it was Minnie. Odd, though, that two old widows would convalesce under darkness to discuss little old Paul Collins. There was something off about Ruth's tone. And the longer Paul had to sit with the one-sided conversation, with nothing but his own imagination to fill in the part of the respondent, the more it felt off. As Paul dressed for the day, those feelings of unease grew until he found himself stepping quietly across the floorboards as if to conceal himself from her. He piled on the layers, preparing to go forth into the rain to leave that home. It was coming down outside, but he wished to be anywhere else. He couldn't stand the way his Underwood typewriter stared at him. He didn't like the uncertainty and the suspicious nature of Ruth's late-night parlance about him. He never had liked being talked about, not when he wasn't present. Paul completed his ensemble by tying together the numerous shirts and undershirts with a rough woolen overcoat, and threw his satchel bag over his shoulder. As he reached the door of his room, his hand gripping the cool brass handle, 
he looked back over his shoulder. The map to the well. The one Ruth had drawn for him. It was crudely drawn, quickly sketched, mapping out fields and names labeling them. Paul recognized neither, nor did he trust the old woman. He'd heard of borders being mugged in small towns, their hosts setting it up, the series of tragic events that unfolded after, oftentimes resulting in the border being sent to some involuntary incarceration for being unable to pay their rent. It sounded like a story out of a pulp novel. His imagination was going wild. It was probably just an innocent chat between Ruth and Minnie, both too stiff in the bones and too achy in the joints to sleep. And what better to gossip about than the newest addition to the town's roster of characters? He chuckled softly as he stuffed the folded piece of paper into his pocket, allowing himself for a moment to let go of his suspicions. He could go to the well. Maybe grab Ruth a mossy pebble from the aged structure and present it to her as a gift. He wanted her to like him. Oh, to hell with that. Paul didn't trust her. Not one bit. He didn't want to be mugged. And of course, if he were to be separated from his clothes and belongings, where else but a little watershed of a town where no one would ever find him or his body? Oh, he took a moment and breathed deeply. There was that imagination of his again running wild. Surely Ruth meant nothing by it. For such a small town, Paul found himself lost. It surprised him how quickly it had happened, too. Each new road he found himself on each turn was like he had pulled back a page in time, all stacked on one another, like the collective history of the town sitting in one slightly ordered heap of pages without a binding. There were roads edged by tall grass where fields rolled off into the distance. Eventually, their run stagnated, though, as they met the faraway tree line. Where there weren't fields, where the woods had licked and crawled and dragged themselves closer to civilization, the roads narrowed and darkened, where freckles of daylight shone through the twisted twigs and branches of the outstretched fingers of the collective wooded monstrosity. God, the trees were large, Paul thought to himself as he shoved his hands in his pockets and continued his steady stride down long country roads and around barely passable, forgotten and overgrown turns. The buildings had been far and few between, until Paul had found himself in a row of lean-tos propped up on stilts on uneven, muddy grounds hidden in an alcove of those more wooded paths he'd found. Those roads were too narrow for any mode of transportation to the humble lodging save for walking. There the air was filled with the stench of rotten river water. And on the other side of the lean-tos, Paul could see a ravine, the bottom of it filled with thick, Icarus mud, dark and blackened by years of cultivating whatever evil that stench originated from. Paul tried to imagine what sort of people lived there. As he stood there, studying the scene, imagining what words Whitman might use to describe that unique tableau of humanity, out of the corner of his eye, Paul caught sight of a man, simply standing and watching him. The man was tall, 
and half-ducked under one of the shanties. Hidden in the shadow, between the leg-like stilts that kept the ramshackle room above dry during floods. No, 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 absolutely not. How unsettling, how unnerving, how absolutely rude and uncouth of the man, and all the other words that Paul could rummage together zipped through him, his internal dialogue doing all it could not to scream. Paul pivoted on his heels, his eyes wide, his heart pounding. There at the edge of the woods, entirely too close for comfort with a silhouette of others, men and women, a couple small children, standing perfectly still. Like a gentleman, Paul Collins nodded and acknowledged each one before hopping and skipping into a trot away from that little den of devilish kin he'd stumbled upon. Rounding the corner, he turned to see they were no longer in sight, but his eyes still darted about the tree line. No, he was certainly alone. But why, then, had that feeling of being watched returned? What was that sensation of barely perceptible film that covered his body, insulating him from the fresh air? Each breath he took was more stagnant than the last and ragged too, and it was only when he fell to his knees, a hand grabbing at his chest as he willed himself to calm down, that he'd realized he'd been running all that time. Away from the slough and its inhabitants. As his pulse steadied, and the pounding, booming heartbeats no longer shook his sight, oh, Paul was relieved to find himself in a large and open field. Rain still fell incessantly, as it always seemed to do, but it was bright out. Diffused white light touched all around him. No place for shadowed silhouettes to hide. And there it was, just sitting there, planted there, in the middle of a field, standing stony and defiant against the grass, in a sunken spot as Ruth had said. Hmm, that must be the infamous well. What, what is that? Are those, wait, are those bones? Oh my god, they are. Oh. Interesting. What do you call this? Scrimshaw. Hey now, what the heck do you think you're doing in my field? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I I didn't think these fields belonged to anyone. I, I just... Well, of course they belong to someone. What else would they belong to if not to someone? I'm not sure. I'm sorry. You should be sorry. Look at you, bent over double making mud pies. You scared me half to death. You got any idea how creepy you look? I, uh, I am, I'm really, really sorry. I didn't even notice I'd come this way. I, I had an uneasy sleep last night and, <laughs> well, I, I guess I was daydreaming and walking. Though the old lady that I'm boarding with, she... She told me some ridiculous story about her goats and some well. She told me where it was, but I didn't realize that that's where I was and that's where I was headed until I was already here. Did 
I say I was looking to hear your life story? Hmm? Mind stepping away from that well? It, uh, uh, it ain't safe. Oh, right. Say now, what were you playing with in the mud? Oh, uh, yes, uh, right, uh, <clears throat> there's... I hate to tell you this, but you've got bones in your field, and there's something carved into them. Ah, pish pash, I got tons of bones. Raccoon bones, bird bones, coyote bones, rabbit bones. No, no, they weren't, they weren't small animal bones. Oh, well, look at you. You must be an orthopedantodriatrist. Come again? A bone doctor, Jesus. I don't think that's what they're called. Of course that's what they're called. What else would they be called? Eh, forget it. Just let me have a look myself. Now, um, uh, say, what, what bones were you talking about? I don't see any bones. No, I, I, I swear, I swear they were right here. Where? They were, they were half buried in mud. Maybe, maybe they uh, sank back down. I, I, I don't understand. I just saw them. Look, pal, whatever your name is. Uh, Paul. Hey. Uh, my name's Paul Collins. Collins, eh? Uh, you recognize my last name? Yes. I, I mean, no. I mean, never you mind that, Paul, whoever you are. I think you best be getting a going and get off my land. Dark's a coming and you don't want to be out after dark. Go on now. Get to stepping. No, I, oh. I... I mean, yes. Um, I, I mean, no. Thank you. I'm not hungry. Are you all right? I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Okay. Evening, Paul. How are you doing? Let me whisper all sinister like all night and then I'll offer you some supper. Why is everyone so damn weird here? What the... I don't remember... No, no, that's impossible. I, I never... I never picked these up. I can't remember... No, there's no chance. I would remember stuffing bones in my bag. This episode was written, directed, and narrated by Cole Weavers, with sound production and editing by Matt Black. Our theme song is by the wonderful Charlie P.S. This episode featured Mike LeBeau as Paul Collins, Lydia Nicholas as Ruth McMillan, and Imogen Harris as Minnie. To find more information, or to join our Patreon for additional content and ad-free episodes, visit our website at thetownwhispers.com. Rate and review us online. 
tweet us at the town whispers join us on discord by clicking the link in the description below visit us on facebook or email us at the town whispers at pulpaudio.ca the town whispers is a serialized horror podcast produced by pulp audio distributed by callum doherty of the rusty quill network and licensed under creative commons attribution non-commercial share alike 4.0 international license It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.